You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. And there's four species. Again, the common basilisk, the western basilisk, the plumed green double-crested basilisk. What can they teach us? Basilisks have one of the most incredible escape artist moves in the animal kingdom. Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. Hello. Welcome back, Angie. It's been a little while. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know. Well, it's it's uh, we had to have a little recovery time after Crows, yes, uh, yes, because that was such a big, impactful episode, and uh, a lot of my friends and I were talking about Crows and how we look at them differently than we did uh, after learning about them on the podcast. And so, and I'm very hopeful, Chris, today that learning all about the basilisk lizard mm-hmm. will get people talking too, because. It was. I was glad that we were able to prep for a couple of weeks for this podcast mm-hmm, as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you and I always mention that uh, we are not uh, herpetology experts. <laughs> that mammals are our thing, comfort yeah. zone, and but I always appreciate doing a good reptile. And this week we get to give tribute to a really cool special lizard that can walk on water. I, it's They call it the Jesus Christ lizard. So with Easter holidays coming up for, for those that are Christian, you know, we can celebrate that because they do walk on water. And it's well, they be, run. Yes, they, but- yeah, they run. Yeah, they do run on water and it's going to be fun. I know. I'm smiling ear to ear just because of the mystique behind them and their beautiful lizards. I actually never worked with them uh, when mm-hmm. I was a zookeeper. I got to work with iguanas and bearded dragons, uh, geckos of all mm-hmm. sorts, toads, snakes, but I never got to work with basilisks. And I must admit, I, I feel like I missed out. Uh, yeah, I think you did. I think you did. Th- these are beautiful, beautiful reptiles. I mean, the last reptile we did was June 9th of last year. Really? Yeah, we did the leatherback sea turtle. And then before that, we did the black mamba. And then before that, we did my favorite, the tuatara. So we are overdue. For, and we've yeah, got to do Yeah, well, what I reptiles. was thinking, well, in prepping for the podcast this week and reading all about basculus, which are related to iguanas, and so got me really nostalgic about all the iguanas I used to work with at the children's zoo for the animal handling programs. I do remember we have covered an iguana, but mm-hmm. it was many, many episodes ago. Do you remember what we covered? Yeah. The marine iguana was, what is that? Like two years ago? We did that September 24th, 2019. So yeah. it's been so a while. Yeah. If you're new to listening to this podcast, uh, which I have to give a shout out to a couple of our new listeners uh, for giving us great reviews on iTunes. We have Jill Geltner 
and Jody CD, who gave us five-star reviews and wonderful written reviews on iTunes. So thank you, new listeners. We really appreciate having you. And then anyone else uh, that's listening to this podcast that's just starting to begin this journey with us, uh, please check out some of the older episodes. And I know that scrolling on your phone can be a little tough with past episodes of podcasts, or you may may not be able to access them. But definitely on our website, it's very well organized by mammals, reptiles, birds, our interviews that we've conducted. So it's a really great search engine to see if we've covered a species uh, and then to check it out later on mm-hmm. when you have time. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, 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 and uh, I'll, I'm going to get to it. I mean, I do apologize. We, Angie and I have, uh, we, we did have a spate of interviews to get out. I mean, we had Jeff Corwin, uh, Sarah Bowen, and then Hope Carr. I mean, amazing guests on. So we we hoped you enjoy those interviews and, and we got, we're able to get those out. But I mean, COVID's raging here in New Zealand right now. We're, we're at the peak of the Omicron wave. So hopefully for us in a few weeks, that will uh, calm down. And, and Angie and I will, will just keep pumping out episodes. We have a massive interview coming uh, here very, very soon. So stay tuned for that. And I just want to say thank you to Jody, who joined us on Patreon this week. Again, for a, a Starbucks coffee a month, you're supporting Angie and I and, and this message and it's reaching thousands of you around the world. And so we just want to thank you. Tens of thousands. Of yeah. 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 Tens mm-hmm. of thousands. I love like Iceland. I don't know if I brought it up last podcast. I was meant no. to. We have, we're getting like 30, 40 downloads a week from Iceland now. Like, wow. <laughs> I can't wait to get up there and see Iceland. Oh, that's so cool. And yeah, to all of our fans, regardless of where you live, mm-hmm. uh, send, in, send in your request uh, on Facebook or you can email us. Uh, we also have a Facebook All Creatures Podcast group where we do a lot of uh, interacting and yeah, just just let us know your request or you can even place your animal request uh, by giving us a five-star review on iTunes. Mm-hmm. So Chris and I want to hear from you guys about what you'd like to learn more about. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this lizard is beautiful. This is, this has to be the most charismatic looking uh, reptile we've covered. It has to, I love the Tuatara. I, the Tuatara here in New Zealand is so unique, but this thing is gorgeous. Gorgeous. Oh yes, Chris. I mean, from its head to its tail and everywhere in between, it is a stunning lizard. Uh, I am very, very partial to iguanas and bearded dragons because I worked with them. And I also have to give a big shout out to Zachary, my son, who's five. He is a huge fan of lizards and he is begging mom and dad right now for a bearded dragon. Yes, yes. Which means him and I are begging John. (laughs) (laughs) John's like, I got enough at the zoo. I I know. And and, and we'll talk about this as we move through this podcast. Reptiles in general they can make wonderful pets for certain people that understand their care and are dedicated to their care, but they are not an easy pet. And therefore, even though my family is a zoo family, an animal mm-hmm. caretaking family, I know what they what it entails. And I, I mean, and I'm trying to remember that and behave myself and not just uh, get a darling little bearded dragon because mm-hmm. my son wants one. And we'll touch on too a little bit about unwanted reptile pets and things like that later on in the podcast. Mm-hmm, and so, mm-hmm. so yes, I'm very partial to iguanas and bearded dragons or beardies. But boy, 
the basilisk, the green basilisk, or the double crested, or the plume basilisk—they're <laughs> all there. It's all the same. Mm-hmm. Is just stunning. It's oh, it's, it's beautiful. beautiful, and and I will I will say, Chris, that I the male basilisks because they are drastically different than the females mm-hmm. are are more beautiful than iguanas because of oh, yeah, by far their uh, their head crest, their dorsal crest, and their tail crest. Oh, uh, it's, are just it's insane! Yeah, they're beautiful. You have beautiful. to look at a picture of them. You have to. You have to. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to do it justice, but mm. there are four different species of basilisk, which Chris and I will talk about when we get into tax- taxonomy. But the color of basilisk can range from brown to olive to green. There's some blues in there, some black grays. So different species have different color patterns and some have stripes on them. Some don't. But the green basculus, which we're going to be focusing in on today, is probably the most stunning of all the basculus. Mm-hmm. And it's green in color, like its name says, with a little bit of white, gray, or maybe even a light, lightish blue slate color markings on its bodies. And some populations will even have like a few black dorsal markings or stripes on them. Their belly is going to be light green, lighter than its very fluorescent, beautiful body. And its tail is very long. Uh, and we'll talk a lot about that when we get to the mechanics and physics of running on water. But the tail will also sometimes have uh, thin black bands running down it as well. But the head, the head is just fascinating in the basilisk. It's triangular in shape. And if we focus in on the males uh, for the green basilisk, they have four crests on them. One is a tiny one just behind the eye, small in nature. And then they have a huge triangular crest on the back of their head, which makes them have this triangular shaped head, just very fancy, very flashy, of course, used for breeding and uh, breeding courtship signals, things like that. And then they have a dorsal crest, which runs across their back, which for me is very reminiscent of dinosaurs that I Mm -hmm. I read all the time with my Mm -hmm. boys looks like a dimetrodon or some of these other dinosaurs that I'm reading about each night with the boys uh, and learning how to pronounce all their names. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that runs along their, their vertebrae, their backbone. And then the fourth crest is along their tail uh, that once again stands up and has not as much height as the dorsal, but still a it's a fair amount of height when it stands up and it just really makes them stand out, which is, I think, the point for displays to other males and once again, courtship with females. But they're just beautiful. Now, the female basilisks do not have this pattern of uh, crests. So they almost look to me like an iguana, mm-hmm. but smaller, if you will. And the other thing I just love about green basilisks are their eyes. They have these big round eyes uh, with a yellow iris. So just really bright and stunning. And the lizards have long hind legs, which are really critical for this mm-hmm. uh, amazing feat of running on water. Uh, and they're going to be longer than their f- their front legs. And they also have sharp claws. They're very good climbers. And they spend a lot of time in trees. And then once again, they have this long whip-like iguana-like tail 
that will help them with balance when they're in trees, but especially when they're running on water. So almost like a smaller, more narrow shaped, agile iguana. Uh, but then when you throw the males in there with the, uh, with these, these beautiful crests, it's just, they're stunning. They're substantial for a lizard. You know, we used to think lizards are small, you know, handheld, but can grow up to three feet long, you know, almost a meter. So, and that's that's including the tail. That's including the tail. I mean, without the tail, they're about you know the body is still ten inches, ten, eleven inches, twenty five, thirty centimeters, which is still substantial for a lizard. Now you're not talking some of these large iguanas that that you've worked with, but still, you know, it's a big lizard, it, but weighs less than half a pound or around two hundred grams, but not beefy. You know? Right? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Some of these iguanas I've seen you know, images of. They're, they're, they're well, especially the ones under human care tend to yeah. be a little, you know, a little lazier, don't get as yeah. much exercise. So yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah, can yeah. understand over over here. Yes. Yeah. Now the green iguana, green iguanas, <laughs> the green basilisks, they live in Central America, so Costa Rica, Honduras, Nicaragua, Panama. They are semi-arboreal, semi-aquatic do live near streams, rivers, lakes. Uh, we'll talk about that. You know, it's part of their escape mechanism uh, running across that. Uh, so they, they, they generally rain forests, but near water. I know, Chris, I'm kicking myself. I am blessed enough to have traveled to Costa Rica a couple times, but I've never seen one in the wild. So I, know, I, I know. have new, a new goal because John has not been to Costa Rica, and I know he would just love it. Uh, it's a wonderful ecotourism country. They focus in a, a lot on that. So, I'm still trying to uh, get you on this side of the planet. <laughs> Pip, Pip and I <laughs> want you guys to, to come down and see us in Australia, New Zealand. Uh, we'll, we'll get you here one day. I know that. I know that. But yeah, Costa Rica is, is definitely on the bucket list. Got to get there. Have to get there. Now, the other basilisk, just really quick... You know, all pretty much Central America. Some do bleed into Colombia, uh, the Ecuador, the northern parts of South America. Some of the other species, the western, uh, the the common, does get down into Venezuela, and the brown basilisk does get up into Mexico. Okay, but generally, all four of the species range in Central America, and then a little bit of, of Mexico and a little bit of, of the northern portions of South America. But this, this is where you find these animals. Well, and Chris, close close to my stomping grounds, the brown basilisk has been introduced to Florida. Once again, we have a lot of non-native animals here in Florida, and uh, the brown basilisk is another one. Uh, they're more on the east coast near St. Lucie, Palm Beach, that area, uh, southeastern, I should say. So we'll talk a little bit later on the podcast about if you do have a reptile pet or an exotic pet uh, and you're unable to take care of it, do not release it. Even if you live in Florida and you think anything can live in Florida, that is a problem. Anything (laughs) can live in Florida Florida. and is living in Florida that should (laughs) not be here and wiping out all of our Burmese pythons, all of our Florida key deer and native species. And Mm -hmm. so uh, there's amnesty programs where you can surrender your pet. And that's why even me, an animal husbandry expert 
And knowing this, and because of this, that's what makes me hesitant to get an exotic animal as a pet. It's just uh, they're 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 really tough. If you're a herpetology expert or something, which I mean, I can be, but I'm not by nature. Uh, it might it might be okay, but yeah, just in general for the mom and pop shop, uh, I I do not recommend uh, reptiles as pets and. Uh, def- do your homework. I, even with a dog and a cat, right? We all know that there's millions of dogs and cats that don't have homes because, well, people didn't do their homework. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. Well, what I'm th- what I'm taking from this is you don't need to go to Costa Rica to see them in the wild. You can just go down <laughs> a couple hours south. So, so that's yes. a vote for Australia. Did you hear that, Pip? She's coming. <laughs> John and Angie are coming to Australia later this year with us. Oh my gosh, uh, I love that idea. Let's put that out there in the universe. I hope so. I hope so. You don't need to go to Costa Rica. You just need to go to Florida. But no, it it is a good point, Angie. And you know, I want to give a shout out to doc, Dr. Now Joe Ricicci uh, when he was uh, doing his undergrad there in Florida with us. And I remember him doing a lot of rescue work with reptiles and um, yeah, and and they do talk about it in Florida when there's a big cold snap. A lot of these reptiles fall out of trees because they're ectotherms and they need the sun and warmth for their metabolism. When it's freezing cold, they can't move. Their muscles don't work. They're very lethargic, so they they do they tend to fall out of trees. But um, yeah, definitely we'll, we'll we'll touch upon that towards the end. But in the wild, the basilisks are very important to the ecosystem, you know, these complicated food webs. They're a top predator for smaller, you know, insects and things that they eat. And then they're also a prey species for a lot of animals. Absolutely, Chris. They're right there in the middle of the food web. And so they serve both a top up and bottom down role. And then from an economic importance, speaking of Costa Rica with their, their tourism, so a lot of people do travel to see uh, reptiles in the wild, including basilisks, and so it can have a really positive impact on the economy surrounding the national parks and things like that. So definitely worth caring about and having interest in learning more about these guys. Now, we're going to find out, they, they are least concerned, but... This was interesting, Angie. So this week, I, I, you know, we we've been to Central America, we've done species there, but we haven't focused a lot on it. And I think we need to. Uh, there's some species I'm thinking. Uh, one with a funky nose. How about I'll just leave that out there. <laughs> it's a big mammal. It it is a biodiversity conservation hotspot. You think you know what I'm thinking of? <laughs> an ant. We've already done an ant eater. Yeah, we've done the ant eater. I think we did the giant ant eater. We've done I'll a taper. Did we do the taper? Okay, maybe we, maybe we haven't. Taper. I don't. You're right. We did the taper. I'm sorry. I was I was miss I was miss talking. I thought we hadn't done the taper yet, but I was thinking of we should be focusing on some more species here because it is such again like Madagascar. Here is a a biome in deep 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 trouble, and I I I, I just my focus has been elsewhere on the planet. And I didn't realize how bad Central America is, and it really is. So some statistics. Before the Europeans arrived, so it was that, you know, 1492, Columbus hit the Caribbean and then started exploiting. Europeans quickly started exploiting uh, the natives there and then also the environment. But before that, the forest covered approximately 500,000 square kilometers of Central America. 
So about 90% of the region was forests. Today, that is down to 224,000 square kilometers. So over half, you know, was that 55% at least of the forests in Central America are gone, long gone. So you can imagine that doesn't mean all the animals just shrunk their, their ranges and became more crowded. Basically, that means half of those, that biomass is probably long gone you know, of the basilisk, of the tapers, of all of the primates, the poison dart frogs, all of these other species that live in this part of the world, half half of them are long gone, long gone population-wise, if not more. And this, the individual countries, Belize has about 63% of their forests remaining, Costa Rica, 46%, Panama, 45%, Honduras, 41%. Guatemala, 37%. And the two worst is Nicaragua at 29% and El Salvador at 21%. So El Salvador has lost, was that three quarters of their forests uh, in their country? Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. Now the current deforestation rate in Central America continues to be about one to one and a half percent per year. So about, they're losing about 2,500 square kilometers per year. Now, it's worse in some regions of the world, but again, here, a very conservation hotspot, so it has a lot of scientists worried. The largest contributor is deforestation for cattle ranching. Just like we're seeing in the Amazon, we're going to have to go back to the Amazon soon. Everything I'm reading the past year, I don't know how we we get political change in Brazil, it, it's her, it's horrific. It's only picked up pace. You know, they've only been slashing and burning even more. And it's, it's, it, it's quickened in the last couple of years uh, under the political leadership there in Brazil. I, I, I don't know what to do. You know, I don't know how in the world we can put more pressure on them uh, to, to stop destroying the Amazon rainforest. But we're, we're, we're really, I don't mean to be alarmist, it's just what the scientists are saying. Within the next five to 10 years, we're going to hit that tipping point and we're going to lose the Amazon completely. Like we're getting closer. So that's going on in Central America. And then also palm oil. They're clearing forests for palm oil. I wouldn't yeah. have thought palm oil. I guess yeah, I always in think Central of- America. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the tropics, right? That's where they grow sure. well. Yeah. And it's such a hot commodity and we use it in so many things. Now, uh, some more statistics, the Living Planet Index, I know we, we've mentioned this in a previous podcast, I, I can't remember which one, but World Wildlife Fund and a lot of other organizations came up with this. And overall around the planet, we're, we've seen a 68% decrease in the populations of mammals, birds, reptiles, fish, amphibians, uh, roughly in the last 50 years. So that, that biomass, I know I've talked about that. The living planet index for Latin America, which includes Mexico all the way down is by far the worst in the world where we've had a 94% decline in biomass, which is insane. I was like, what? I know. I can't even picture that. I can't either. I'm like, what? But I, I don't know why this is, has missed my radar. I mean, I'm, you know, I, I know I'm not giving 
wonderful stories during this segment of the podcast. But it's like, I think this is where the, the news of what's going on in conservation needs to be told. I didn't know it was that bad. I thought it was worse in other regions of the world. I know, you know, the biomass index in Southeast Asia has been pretty bad. I didn't realize Latin America and the Caribbean was was by far the worst. So this is, again, Latin America. So going Mexico all the way down to the tip of Argentina. Of this 94% reduction in biomass, 51% of that is habitat loss. So again, that Amazon rainforest, we've, we as a species, as we get out of this global pandemic, I think our attention needs to turn to climate change and contributions to it, which is deforestation, especially in, in Brazil, you know, specifically. And I know there's other countries in South America that are, that are cutting down the, the rainforest, but not at the rate Brazil is doing. And, and we really need to put a lot of pressure on them to stop doing what they're doing. But 51% of habitat loss has been the major contributing factor. Then you have 21% species exploitation, hunting, poaching, 12% invasive species, 12% climate change, 2% pollution. So habitat loss is by far the largest contributor to the loss of biomass. And these organizations are calling out an SOS that around the world, we're, we're seeing a massive drop in vertebrate species populations. We have to change the way we do things. We have to change our habits. So as a planet, as we've, we've kind of come together as a global pandemic, all of us have been impacted. Everybody listening to this podcast has been impacted by COVID in some way or shape or form. All of us, you know, we're in this together. This climate change, this loss of biodiversity, this threatens every single one of us listening. So we need to come together. I, I'm i a little bit invigorated because I the last few weeks I've been like itching to record with Angie and we just haven't been able to do it. I've had six kids. She's been having to travel. I'm like, Angie, we got to get back on the air. Uh, it, it's This is what drives me. You know, this is what the support of our listeners, but also getting this message out because I see the writing on the wall. We've done this now for going on four years, Angie, and we've got to do more. I feel like you and I have to do more. Everybody listening has to do more. And then just my jaw hitting the ground, reading about Central America going, wow, how have I missed this? I just, I feel, I feel a fire in my gut right now. So it's, excuse me, but the, hopefully the passion rubs off and uh, we can start seeking solutions. Well, absolutely. And being in Central America this week, looking at the basilisks and where they live and the species around them and what they eat and what eats them and just the nature and the beauty and the importance of it is, it is critical. And and if you take a step back, it's awe-inspiring too. And it needs we need to get back to Costa Rica. We need to get to Nicaragua mm -hmm, or Panama mm -hmm. and and see this wildlife. But there needs to be forest and wildlife there to see and for generations to come and to help reduce our carbon footprint. And that's, I mean, I, everything I've been reading is saying that we probably can't plant trees to get us out of this uh, carbon mm -hmm. mess. Mm -hmm. But we should try and we should definitely 
slow down, cutting them down, or at least make sure they're replaced if we are. Right. Uh, so, but really planting trees and keeping trees around is, is undoubtedly going to help us and it potentially could save us. And so thinking about, thinking about it like that, let alone all the life that it supports, especially in, in uh, Latin America. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Well, and we, you know, we have conservation heroes on the podcast all the time. Last week, we had Hope Carr, you know, enthusiastic. The Texas Lobo Coalition that she's founded, she's doing her part. Uh, Dr. Rebecca Cliff, who I have a conservation crush on, she... I see her on on social media now all the time, and like I told you, uh, my 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 youngest son saw her on a program, and I said, "Oh, I interviewed her, buddy," and he was like, "Oh, tell her I, I I've learned not to touch sloths or something like that." And I thought cute, it was so cute, yeah, but yeah, but she founded the Sloth Conservation Foundation. She lives in Costa Rica. She's she's fighting for these animals. So, ooh, and maybe she'll host us when we come down. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, no, go see your basilisk and come to come to Australia, and then you can go to Costa Rica. I love it. Uh... <laughs> your ten year anniversary is coming up. Um, it's either that or uh, it's either. I understand if you can't make it on this side of the planet, but John needs to take you to the Galapagos if not here. So. I know it won't be for our ten year because it's actually like in a few days. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think we may have uh, pulled together, roped together, mm-hmm. my neighbor to be so kind to take the boys for like a couple hours. Oh, so, yes. I'll call but, your mom. I'll tell your mom and tell her uh, she's to come up. Uh, no, ten years, but, you guys have been awesome. Yes, uh, it it feels uh, like just yesterday. I know, so. I know, I know. And you're in my office, and like I want to go to grad school. I'm like, yeah. okay, oh, you're you're. <laughs> <laughs> still oh, one of my best you're still one yeah, of my best it was uh it was a fun time i i yeah. keep telling john like oh i could go back to school and study this now i'm I'm super into like <laughs> neurophysiology and that aspect yeah. of behavior and yeah. he's like no no more graduate degrees for you just he's like you learned how to learn you can just like learn it all teach yourself i know so I, I know i, I just I know. do that but this podcast obviously keeps me on my toes and uh, all yeah. this physiology and, and speaking of physiology and physics i had to do a lot of learning this week mm about how the basilics are able to run on water. So okay. I'm getting really excited. We're almost there. For that. We're almost there. We're almost there. Let me, get through, okay. let me get through evolution because evolution's short. They're, they're, it's surprisingly, not a lot is known about the basilisk. So, you know, taxonomy, reptiles, class, 12,700 plus species. Squ- orders squamata, we've done many of these, the, the lizard snakes and worm lizards, 10,900 species. So everything's normal. Suborder Iguania. Now I say that because what's the reptile we covered that the order was not normal? Ooh, I like where you're going with this. Um, Tuatara. Yes, yes. Bingo, bango, bongo. I did see one a few months ago. I loved it. Okay. So everything's uh, pretty, pretty, 
standard for this iguanae this is the suborder so again the basilisk with the iguanas chameleons new world lizards like that there's over 2000 species the family is interesting it's guanian lizards mm-hmm. so these are the cask head lizards so the cask mm-hmm. so again talking about that frill which is really uh, interesting or helmeted lizards Mm-hmm. nine species in there. So very, very interesting uh, lizard family. And then the genus is Basiliscus, and there's four species. Again, the common basilisk, the western basilisk, the plumed green double-crested basilisk, who we're covering a little bit today, plus the others, and then the brown basilisk. So that is the, the four species. And then the green is Basiliscus plumifrons, species name now reptiles again this is what i'm I'm so i can't i can't spill the beans but the the guests we having coming soon i'm just like we're both so giddy about because i just love this evolution stuff and he's a very 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 well-known evolution evolutionary biologist i mean i think you just gave it away (laughs) well that's fine i'll leave it at that (laughs) it's just i can't wait to pick his brain exciting it is very exciting it's it's honestly like all i think about like i know my (laughs) 10-year anniversary is coming up and i'm reflecting on all that but i'm just like prepping questions and yes uh doing getting one of the greatest minds of our generation Mm -hmm. that we get to get Mm -hmm. to speak to so i'm excited for it in a couple weeks but reptiles, this is what's amazing. They were before dinosaurs 312 million years ago. You know, that fact always yes, blows my mind. I, know. I don't know. We talked about it, I think, the last time we covered in, uh, the marine iguana. Mm-hmm. But yes, it's it. I don't know why I used to think that it was like dinosaurs, reptiles. Yes. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was not. Yeah. It was reptiles. That's where we came from. Like, we right. came from reptiles, our, our yeah. reptilian brains. Like, I love it. Yeah, that's why evolution's so amazing. Uh, you know, and then again, uh, there was a break in the reptile line uh, around the end of the Permian period. So that's about 250 million years ago. Crocodiles, birds, those went off in one. Uh, and then the lizards and all the kin went in the other. Iguanas date back like their earliest, earliest relatives about 240 million years ago. But again, lizards began you know they're very ancient radiating out about 200 million years ago but they've survived three mass extinctions like they went through some uh, a lot of stuff a lot of change <laughs> yes mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. of change to survive those uh, i think it's the third or four I, I don't remember which mass extinction it was but we're almost 90 something percent of all life on earth almost went you know went extinct and but they the, the reptiles hung on you know, that the sharks and fish deep in the oceans hung on and somehow some of these reptiles hung on and then evolved. And then all the digging I did on the basilisk, Angie, it, it, I mean, I was looking up on Google Scholar. I, I registered for a couple sites thinking, oh, here's some info on basilisk evolution. No, there's not a lot known. The only thing I could find was they did find a distant relative uh, in North America and Wyoming about 48 million years ago that had similar leg structure, thinking maybe it was a lizard that could run on water too. Okay. But there wasn't a lot out there on basilisk uh, themselves. But again, an ancient species like most of the other reptiles. Now, with all that being said, while I was doing this, looking up evolution, it, a lot of it was the evolution of the legends of Basilisk. 
because the basilisk is very famous in European culture dating back a couple thousand years as if you looked at the basilisk, the gaze, it would kill you. So the basilisk gaze is, is famous for that legend. It was also the legend was it was like one of the most venomous creatures ever to live, which, which isn't true. But Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. They're not venomous and, at all. No, but it, it was like the, you know, the basilisk would start off as this small snake and then it was able to k- kill you with its lethal poison or evil gaze. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a Harry Potter creature. Yeah, it was. It, and, uh, mm-hmm. I think like the first or second movie it was, was one of them like from the, the tooth or something. You had to get a basilisk tooth. I don't remember. So yeah. Cause then in the final one, he used it to, yeah. Horcrux. There we go. <laughs> a little nerdy. So it was, it was the basilisk. I mean, legend. nerdy or really cool. I think it depends on who you ask. Okay. I felt really cool when I was in Harry Potter land at Universal. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. Well, next time you go with the boys, you can get him a basilisk fang and say, Here well, you go. here's, this is so interesting because John always has the Star Wars debate of like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, do I have the boys watch Star Wars? the order that we watched him mm-hmm, as kids mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. does he start him in order? Anyway, yes. it's like yeah. a lot of philosophical debate in our house, <laughs> but with, luckily with Harry Potter, there's no such debate. And, but I haven't, um, I haven't started the books yet with my oldest. And so mm-hmm. I'm trying to decide if I should wait till he's 10 yeah, or maybe start him a little earlier, uh, but we'll read them all together. So, I mean, Zachary definitely won't be 10 when he starts. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, it's well. some that's my own little fun, joyful thing to think about because I I don't have Star Wars. And yeah. so <laughs> Yeah, I know, I know. I, I do. I have Star Wars with the boys and Harry Potter. So yeah, we uh we we've been watching all the uh the Disney Plus stuff. Uh anyways, back to Basilisk. <laughs> on that tangent. It, the the origins is they think with this this origins of the basilisk because the name's Greek in origin so right going way it, back yeah right doesn't it mean like little king yeah yeah I think it was it was, it was that was like the crown snake mm-hmm. way back when and so that that origin is, is is thousands of years old but they think the cobra specifically the spitting cobra was one of the things that gave the the, the basilisk legend because it, it could sit upright with its hood and spit out. Oh, And so, yeah, mm-hmm. that's where the, the basilisk... Now, it doesn't have a lot to do with the basilisk lizard that we find no, in Central America. very little. Because that wasn't classified by Europeans until the 1700s, and they named them basilisks. So very, very different, you know... Uh, the naming of the lizard versus the legend. Okay. So that is it. That's it. What I found for evolution and, and I found quite a few papers on that legend, so, but nothing on like where they, who they're related to or anything like that. Uh, just some facts before we get to the, the running on water. Cause that, that's just going to be fun. Uh, they, they can live to be about nine years old under human care, six, seven years old in the wild. These are good climbers, good runners. We're going to find out, and good swimmers. Uh, again, uh, ectotherms that we that are cold blooded need to warm up in the sun. They live in the tropics, so not too cold for them there. The only interesting fact, I physiology fact I found besides the running on water is basilisks do not lose their tails like other lizards, so they need them to run over water. And I don't know if we've talked about that 
so maybe the next lizard we talk about, we can talk about the regenerative power of their tails. I know we've mentioned it, but I don't necessarily know if we've talked about the the processes. Maybe you have. I don't know. Something worth revisiting. Absolutely worth revisiting because it's super yeah. fascinating. So yeah, it is. It is Re- regenerative. Like I know regenerative medicine mm-hmm. in our lifetime. You know, maybe towards the end of my lifetime will be be a thing. So, you know, can extend. I think we're getting there. We're getting there, right? Even Jeff Bezos with his billions, he's trying to find ways to, to live to be a thousand years old or something. So, but it is a thing. Regenerative medicine is a thing. We study things like how lizards regenerate their tails. Axolotls regenerate their limbs. I know we talked about that way back when. Yes, that's that was probably one of the species. I'm trying to think about which one it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, I know, I'm pretty sure we talked about it because axolotls are, are very, very famous for their ability to to regrow limbs. And um, I remember some of the scientists we were working with were studying that. All right, Angie. So uh, the tail thing, they don't lose their tails. We know why other lizards lose their tails. It's when they're being chased. Uh, it, it's a defense mechanism. You know, let give up the tail so they'll eat that and I'd eat, eat them. But because the basilisk cannot do that and they are preyed upon, they have evolved to have one of the most amazing escape techniques in the animal kingdom. Absolutely. Basilisks have one of the most incredible escape artist moves in the animal kingdom. So whether they're hanging out on a tree or on land, relaxing, sunning, when they feel threatened by prey, which could be a bird or a large snake or a human, they basically run out into the water, or if they're in a tree, they'll jump, they can often jump down into the water, and they sprint on their hind legs. Mm -hmm. And they basically rear up, and they're in this like erect uh, stance, Mm -hmm. and then they have bipedal motions, which basically just means their hind legs are moving really fast. And so... They drop down from a tree or from land and they just go straight across the water at about five feet per second it's across crazy. the surface of the water. It's so fast. And I watch so many slow motion videos of these guys on YouTube. Uh, we'll mm-hmm. have to put some on our we'll have to put some on our show notes. It's mm-hmm. just really, really incredible. They are on the surface of the water. Uh, and they travel for several feet, up to 15 feet. So I was actually having a fun conversation with my neighbor. He's 13 and we're talking all about basilisks because they, uh, they were wondering what we were going to cover soon because they're new fans of the podcast. And when I told him this, he's like, oh, he's like, I can do that. <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, all right, Luke. I'm like, challenge accepted. I'm like, you and your friends, I'm like, get get your phones out and let's see if you can do this. I've, I've actually seen like YouTube challenges of this mm. and kids – this is not a TikTok challenge or anything. No, no, no. Do not hurt yourselves. I'm just telling you, you're not going to be able to do 15 feet on no, water. No, no. Any stretch of the imagination. But it was cute because he was just so like, oh, that's not that hard. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm like, trust me, these lizards are superheroes. And they have the physiology to uphold this crazy physics, which I'm sorry, a 13-year-old kid or myself or you, Chris, or our listeners out there, can't do unless they somehow have like specialized jets or really large mm-hmm. floating feet 
mm-hmm. <laughs> or some other uh, um, uh, other type of unnatural um, element to help them across the water. But basilisks don't. Basilisks just have their own physiology. And to accomplish this incredible feat, what a basilisk will do is they're moving or churning their hind feet like a bicycle. So, just, mm-hmm. I mean, moving really, really fast. And as each hind foot slaps down on the water, and the tarsal bones of their feet are pretty long, and as their hard feet hit the surface of the water, they have long toes, and in between them there's flaps or fringes of skin that unfurl or open up as they hit the water, which helps increase the surface area. And then on the next level, within these flaps or fringes between uh, their toes of their feet, they have these specialized scales, which allow for a tiny air pocket to uh, to build that helps keep them from sinking and helps keep their speed as they book across the water. And as the basilisk moves across the water, their tail is held up and acts like a counterweight, basically until the surface tension within the water breaks and they finally do succumb to gravity. And when that happens, they tip over forward and basically start swimming. And they're excellent swimmers. So they'll just go straight from running on the water or, you know, in the air. And they'll transition into the water from this upright position really gracefully and just be able to escape the predator yeah, yeah. both both in air and then on land uh it's pretty crazy oh, and and when they do swim they'll submerge themselves for 10 minutes i i even read that they could hold their breath up to 30 minutes yep, i don't know yep, did yep. you catch that yeah i saw anywhere? that yep 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 underwater yep yep so good luck catching them <laughs> yeah <laughs> i know it's so many you know a lot of the research and the in the studies you read a lot of it's the physics of it and you know, they're moving so fast, like you said, that, and then, then when they hit that during that slap phase, as soon as the, the other, the foot touches down, the other one's already swinging through the air to touch down. So it's, it's almost like watching a Bugs Bunny cartoon, mm-hmm. you know, the Roadrunner, remember the Roadrunner's back legs were spinning so fast. It, it, that's, it, it's so fast. And like Angie said, they've done a, a lot of slow motion video uh, to study this and you know there's a lot of lateral forces while they're upright that are keeping them going so one of the scientists was was saying you know think about it as like riding a bike you know how we pedal and we're going back and forth as we pedal especially in a sprint but the second you stop what happens you fall over right you just you fall over that's the thing you, you don't have that stability anymore so with the basilisk lizard, they got to keep moving. They got to keep moving. But you're right. After about 15 feet, they, they lose that momentum. And then they just, boom, fall in the water. But at that point, hopefully they're away from the predator or they'll dive and, and be underwater for a while. They call it the Jesus Christ lizard because related to the Christian scriptures, right? That Jesus sure. walked on water. Yeah. Well, it's the biblical passage of Matthew 14, 22 through 34 is the one uh, that... Uh, 
describes that scene. So yeah, I mean, yeah, it's yeah, uh, yeah. it's just so phenomenal. And because if you think of 15 feet, this is not that big of lizard. So they're Mm-mm. covering a lot of ter- territory on, on top of the water. And <laughs> like I said, these, these slow motion, motion videos are just just incredible. It really, it's just, it's amazing. And Chris and I and my neighbors and friends that I've been talking with, and of course, uh, Xander and Zachary, who are the ones who help bring this lizard to my attention because we watch a lot of Wild Kratts, which is a wonderful uh, series uh, mm-hmm. on PBS about animals and wildlife and saving wildlife. And there was an episode on the basilisk and the boys were just super excited about it. But this love for this phenomenal feat that the basilisk can do running across water is studied by scientists. In fact, one of the reasons probably Chris and I couldn't find a ton of either behavior or courtship or reproduction and evolution on basilisks is because most of the scientific papers are focusing on the biophysics of how Mm -hmm. they're able to move across the water. In fact, I started reading and honestly like was struggling with this PNAS article, which is the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science Sciences, a very prestigious journal. And it was the title was Running on Water, Three-Dimensional Force Generated by Basculus Lizards. And these authors aren't joking around <laughs> with yeah, the graphs and what they were studying in the computational analytics. And I just said, well, I'm going to stay in my own lane and I'll just focus on the physiology because the physics is a little too intense for me. But they're really studying it and wanting to understand it, not only from probably a a wow and an awe fact, but honestly for how humans can benefit benefit from the science behind this. Well, it's one of the most strangest behaviors in the natural world. I mean, it, it, it really is when you think about all the stuff we've covered, all the species we've covered, all the ones we see in documentaries. This is by far one of the strangest evolutionary adaptations of any creature. It's just amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. And I mean, they're running from possums, Kawadi, there's the one we need to do soon. Oh, there's, yes, Chris. Yeah, Good look. Yeah, we got to yeah. write that down for yeah, sure. Kawadi's for sure. But snakes, birds of prey, you know, things that might eat them. And so it, that's why they live near water. It's it, it's great escape for them. You know, and I just imagine being a predator and you're like, oh, he looks pretty. Oh, he's going to be taste yummy. And then you go to get him and he just takes off in the water. And you're like, what the heck? You know, <laughs> watch him run across. Well, it is such a phenomenal feat for them to be able to do this to get away from predators. But due to predation, a lot of hatchlings or juvenile basculus don't make it into adulthood. So it's a dated Mm -hmm. study, but it was from 1982, which found that female basculus, when they were younger, like hatchlings, their survivorship was much lower than males. And the first year survivorship of these guys, both males and females, hatchlings, being less than 60%. Wow. Oh. So, yeah. you know, six out of 10 are not making it, to, it to adulthood yeah. to reproduce yeah. to adulthood. So it is important that they have these skill sets uh, both on water and then while swimming to get away from predators. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, before we, any other behavior in reproduction, you know, these are omnivores. So they eat insects. Uh, they'll eat some small animals if they can catch them, uh, plants, fruit, uh, but mainly feed on you know, insects, anthropods, other small lizards, uh, may eat some snakes, 
uh, freshwater shrimp, occasionally frogs, uh, flowers, fruits. So that's kind of generalist. They're generalists, right? Yeah, that's a great word, Chris. And as a generalist, their uh, ecosystem role is really, really critical. Doing all sorts of things. Yeah. Controlling mm-hmm. insects, eating seeds, pooping out seeds everywhere. You and know, I've been to Costa Rica yeah. and that is an important, <laughs> that's yeah. an important thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't wait. I got to get over there. I got to get over there. All right. Any other behavior? I mean, like you said, it, it, it was a lot focused on their ability to run across water. Was there anything else you found or, you know, courtship behaviors leading to repro? Yeah, Chris, uh, I definitely learned that they do spend a lot of their time being arboreal and hanging out in the trees. So when you're talking about, especially like the green basilisk, that's probably why I didn't see any Costa Rica because they camouflage really, really well. Uh, And when they're not just hanging out in the trees, they are going to spend a lot of their time foraging, basking, resting by waterways, as you already mentioned. And they are diurnal, so they hang out during the day. And at nighttime, the green basculus is going to sleep up in a tree, so it's away from predators, uh, anywhere from 10 to 20 meters high. So they are excellent climbers, able to go up and down as needed. And another fun fact, besides running on water or swimming in water to escape from predators, they can also burrow into the sand mm-hmm. to hide from predators if need be. Oh, wow. I didn't see that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They have this um, ring of muscular tissue around both nostrils, which can help prevent the sand from entering their nose if they need to go into the ground. So, yes. So, they're in the trees, on the water, in the water, and underground. I mean, when we talk about all these adaptations to survive hundreds of thousands of millions of years, uh, I mean, they're doing a great job, right? And now I think it's also important to mention for basilisk's behavior is they are stunning and gorgeous lizards. But with that being said, they're not necessarily the most friendly lizard. Uh, If you are thinking of having an exotic pet, they are very skittish in nature and they're easily frightened and agitated. So... If you do stumble across one in the wild, if you're lucky enough, they probably are going to flee from you, whether it's up a tree, running across the water, or swimming, or burying themselves. So they're not, uh, they, you know, they're, they're very easily frightened. And so when you think about having an exotic pet, I, I wouldn't, a basilisk for that instance, as beautiful as they are. For me personally, and once again, this is my own opinion, uh, but I, I just, they probably would not make the best reptile pet or pet in general. And as far as their socialization goes, basculists typically are territorial and live alone. So they're going to be solitary unless it's breeding season. Other than that, they do not want to be around their friends. And some of the ways that basculists communicate with each other is through head bobbing. So a lot of times that'll be a way that they display territorial signs and or courtship uh, behavior when they're seeking out a female. Ambassadors also have very well-developed eyes. So they're very visually oriented, uh, which is important for communication with one another. And that's why they will do these head bobbing or sometimes they'll signal or, or sometimes they'll sway their tail to help signal to other lizards in order to communicate their feelings to one another. And when male and female basculists do come together for breeding, 
Their seasonality is going to depend on exactly where they live and what species they are. But for instance, a common basilisk will often begin breeding in March. And basilisks reach sexual maturity when they're like 18 to 24 months. However, many male basilisks won't start breeding until they're about three or four years of age because males that are larger and are more territorial are able to basically attack and control the smaller, less developed males and basically win the breeding rights of several females. And so uh, basilisks are polygonous, which means a male will mate with many females during the breeding season. And when a female basilisk does become pregnant, she'll start to show signs or gain weight one to two weeks after breeding. And around the third week, she'll start to lay her eggs. And the amount of eggs laid by a female basilisk depends on uh, which species she is. But for example, a green basilisk female will lay anywhere from 15 to 20 eggs per clutch. And a female may have several clutches during the breeding season, up to three or four have been recorded. And when it is time for a female to uh, lay her eggs, she will look for a nesting site. It's usually like a shallow trench or somewhere where she can burrow down a little bit to lay her eggs. So she lays them and then she'll fill the nest up or fill the burrow up basically with soil using her forelegs and she'll pack it down with her snout. Make sure those eggs are nice and safe and hidden. And then she takes off. That's it. She's done. The eggs are all alone. Uh, they're left there to incubate uh, on their own. And the basilisk eggs will remain there uh, in their covered up hidden burrow for about eight to 10 weeks or so. And as the hatchlings emerge, this will happen over a one to two day period. So they don't all come out at once. And when a hatchling does uh, break through the egg and out of the burrow, they are on their own and they are born with the ability to run on water, run on That's land, crazy. climb, swim, <laughs> dive, they know everything to do. They know how mm -hmm. to eat. There's no further parental care after the mom laid the eggs and uh, covered them up with her little snout, pat, pat, pat in the dirt. <laughs> off Good she luck. goes. She like, yeah, she like wipes her forepaws, like boop, boop, off, off you go. And of those 40% of hatchlings that typically survive past the first year, uh, they'll become mature and reproducing within 18 to 24 months, male and female. But once again, males typically take a little bit longer to be competitive um, for the breeding rights. So you're saying, okay, so 40% survived to adulthood. She's laying up to 15, right? 10 to 15? About, yeah, 20, 15 to 20 eggs. 15 to and... 20 eggs. So 20 eggs. And then uh, the eight, and then she does that two or three times, 16, mm -hmm. 20. So when you look at their conservation status, least concern, you can understand the population. We don't have a population number on any of these species. Uh, but that's an important note mm -hmm. yeah but again starting off or you know at the beginning when i talked about latin america is a hot spot and half over half 55 percent of the forests are long gone and they're still losing 2500 square kilometers per year you know basilisk populations are definitely gonna be a lot lower than they were uh than they were 500 years ago so it is, It is again, all of these species have suffered 
population declines, all of them, you know, or most of them that we cover besides the ones that are like jellyfish that are proliferating in the ocean. So, you know, not a lot to tell with their conservation story, but the area they live in, absolutely. And we will be back because I I, I threw one out, the Kawadi. I I think we'll do that one relatively soon. Uh, It's one I've been wanting to do for a while. I always forget about it, but. I know. And I have been strong on there. Uh, So. That's another one. Yes. That's that's another one. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. We we have some cool species coming up. So, Uh, but yeah, least concern, Angie. So talking about organizations, I I don't think there's a basilisk one out there. No, Chris, nothing specific on basilisk, but I do want to give a big shout out to uh, the Rainforest Alliance uh, group, which can be found at rainforest-alliance.org. Uh, they are a group that is basically on the front lines of conservation in Central America and Mexico. And the mission of Rainforest Alliance is to create a more sustainable world by using social and market forces to protect nature and improve the lives of both farmers and forest communities. So they partner with so many allies uh, around the world to basically help save and conserve these really important landscapes, which, as we talked about today, are home of the basilisk and several really cool creatures and an important carbon sink and biomass that is critically needed to be conserved, as Chris mentioned earlier in the podcast. So a huge shout out to Rainforest Alliance. And then lastly, I just want to mention here in the United States, uh, something called the Exotic Pet Amnesty Program. So if you do have an exotic pet at home, whether it's a lizard or a bird, uh, and you can no longer take care of it, once again, please do not release it. That's how we get into a world of trouble here in Florida, where we live with all these uh, non-native exotic animals uh, living in the wild and killing our native species. And so if you have an exotic pet and you're just unable to care for it for whatever reason, there's several surrender programs that you can reach out to uh, if you just Google exotic pet amnesty programs, uh, depending on which state you live in. We have one here in Florida, so all my Florida listeners, uh, that's an option. So please make sure to keep that in mind and spread the word to other people that may have exotic pets and may not want them anymore. Just definitely do not release them. It's not fair to the pet and it's definitely not fair to the wildlife, the native wildlife in the area. Yeah, no, I I remember, and again, a shout out to Dr. Joe Ricicci, uh, who's an amazing veterinarian, but I remember uh, back in the day doing wildlife uh, rescues and rehoming and a lot of that stuff. So again, in Florida, it's a big issue. It's a big issue here, you know, invasive species, Mm -hmm. New Zealand, you know, around the world. So fun species. (laughs) The running across water, I, I just, just, I know this one's going to stick for a long time. Yes, and I highly recommend looking at our show notes. We'll put some uh, YouTube clips from National Geographic and other other groups on there that have the bass like running on water in slow motion, and it'll it'll blow your mind. It's just incredible. Or YouTube it, and then tell a friend and share this podcast episode with that friend. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you were going to start churning out more species episodes. Uh, you know, we have a couple interviews scheduled the next few weeks, but we're, we're going to be doing species, species, species for quite a while. 
uh, stay tuned for that. We've got a good lineup coming. I know, uh, I think next week, I think I know what we're going to do, which would be pretty amazing. So we'll, we'll see if that's what Angie wants to agree with, but thank you for listening <laughs> and, uh, take care wherever you are in the world. Shout out to Iceland. Thank you for listening up there. I will get to your, your island one day and you come down here and visit us in New Zealand. We're we're opening up to the world here very soon. So take care, everybody. Thank you for listening, sharing and caring. Listen, learn, share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.